Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Spiritual Insights with Charlotte Spicer. Spirituality and Metaphysics Talk Radio, featuring a course in miracles, dream interpretation, guided meditation, and the psychic and metaphysics free-for-all. It's your opportunity to consult with a professional psychic medium, discuss past lives, the chakras, and more. We are non-denominational, and there are no limits. Want to change your life? You must first change your mind. 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 No matter your religious structure, cultivate peace in your reality through self-awareness with an authentic spiritual teacher. And now, your host, Charlotte Spicer. Hi, here I am. Ah, there you are. You know, you know what I did? <laughs> it's okay, I can edit all this. You know what I did? Okay. I hit the wrong mute button, and I muted <laughs> my, I muted my telephone instead of. Oh, I hit the wrong button. Okay, that let would, me start over because I, I tripped over my words several times. So it's okay. Okay, I would explain it because it just went dead air right after hello, everyone. <laughs> yep, because I was going too quickly. All right, let me take a breath. Okay. Because you know what happened? When when the uh, introduction ended, I looked around, and my intro wasn't in front of me, and I had to look around and find it, and that tripped me up. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Let's just create a pause so I know what to cut out, and then I'll just start over, and do you want me to mute you or no? Um, you know, I'll mute it at my end. How's that? Oh, perfect. Okay. Okay. I'll have to do a little editing. That's okay. All right, here we go. Welcome to Spiritual Insights, everyone. Thank you for joining us for our A Course in Miracles virtual class with Robert Rosenthal, MD. In these segments, Dr. Bob and I break down specific sections to help you gain a deeper understanding of the concept of the Course. We continue to explore Chapter 17, which focuses on forgiveness and the holy relationship. Today, we will continue our exploration of this section with Section... Today, we continue our exploration of this chapter with Section 3, Shadows of the Past. If you're new to the show, Dr. Bob is the co-president of the Foundation for Inner Peace, publisher of A Course in Miracles, having served on the, board, on the Foundation's Board of Directors since 1992. He was a practicing psychiatrist and psychotherapist for 32 years before retiring to take on this position. He was introduced to the course in 1975 at the age of 20 by Judy Scott and became a close friend and protege of Dr. Bill Seffer, co-scribe of the course. Dr. Bob is the author of From Plagues to Miracles, The Transformational Journey of Exodus from the Slavery of Ego to the Promised Land of Spirit, published by Hay House, which reinterprets the biblical story of Moses and Pharaoh as a parable of the mind's struggle to escape ego and identify once again with spirit. It is recommended you read this book prior to studying A Course in Miracles 
would effortlessly deepen your understanding of the abstract concepts presented. If you would like to connect, visit from miracles.com where you can read excerpts and purchase from Place to Miracles. Also, acim.org to learn more about and purchase your copy of A Course in Miracles so that you can study along with us if you so choose. And finally, spiritualinsightsradio.com where you can review the archives of our large body of work since 2013. And finally, social media users can, can connect with us on our Facebook pages from Place to Miracles as well as Spiritual Insights Radio, where I've created a complete archive, all of our segments on the show. Well, join me in welcoming Dr. Bob back to the program, where we will pick up in our extraordinary exploration. Welcome, Dr. Bob. How are you? I'm overall pretty good, Char. Um, Much busier than I uh, ever expected to be, but some people say to me that's not a bad thing. So, uh, yeah. Um, I would like to say for any you know live listeners, or I guess even anyone listening archived, uh, that my new book, um, From Nevermind to Evermind, Embracing the Self, Transforming the Self to Embrace Miracles, uh, does finally look like it will be released sometime in October. Um, it was caught in the uh, crossfire between two different publishing companies who bought each other out and then were trying to decide who 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 had which books and it was it was kind of a mess but um it it is on track now to be released in October and I will certainly give further updates uh when I know more excellent I'm really looking forward to that yeah i think it'll Ooh. be a good one okay <laughs> all right so let's pick up where we left off we had Gone through uh, section one and section two of chapter 17, bringing fantasy to truth and the forgiven world. Those were extraordinary discussions. Mm. We get really into this. And now, Shadows of the Past is, as Dr. Bob and I agree, is one of the most powerful sections and it really encapsulates the uh, mission of the course. What would you like to start with, uh, Dr. Bob? Would you, do you want to pick up with the last paragraph from the previous section? Um. You know, or dive in. I think I'm good diving in this 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 section. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I I don't think it piggybacks all that much on the last one, so I think we can just dive in. You you I know how fond you are of this first paragraph. Would you like to uh, uh, start? I yeah, I'll do that. This is actually one of my favorites in the entire book. Now, what I did was I didn't I didn't take the time I normally would to break down a paragraph because it's so rich in information. So the approach I took to save time on the air is to um, go through, I'll read it, and then I'll go through key points and kind of break it down in terms of like a, a clarification of terms. So I'll go that way and then just add any other random thoughts. But eventually when the written form of it is out, it will be a lot longer, of course. Okay. Sounds good. Okay, so here we go. Chapter 17, Section 3, Paragraph 1. To forgive is merely to remember only the loving thoughts you gave in the past and those that were given you. All the rest must be forgotten. Forgiveness is a selective remembering based not on your selection. For the shadow figures you would make immortal are quote-unquote enemies of reality. Be willing to forgive the Son of God for what he did not do. 
the shadow figures are the witnesses you bring with you to demonstrate he did what he did not. Because you bring them, you will hear them. And you, who keep them by your own selection, do not understand how they came into your mind and what their purpose is. They represent the evil that you think was done to you. You bring them with you only that you may return evil for evil, hoping that their witness will enable you to think guiltily of another and not harm yourself. They speak so clearly for the separation that no one not obsessed with that, with keeping separation could hear them. They offer you the quote-unquote reason why you should enter into unholy alliances to support the ego's goals and make your relationships the witness to its power. Mm-mm-mm. Okay. That's deep. Okay. So, so just to start off with, with sentence one, let's talk about forgiveness and, and how it says um, to remember only the loving thoughts you gave in the past and those that were giving you. So what I feel this is saying is to reclaim a phase of life not limited to this lifetime that is more innocent and of mutual innocence and love. Okay, I also want to add that all conditioned fears, whether they're from this lifetime or a crossover from a past life or lie, all these fears and behaviors must be relinquished from consciousness. Forgiveness is a selective remembering, it says in, t- in sentence three. It's based not on your selection. What I take this to mean is that selective remembering involves right-minded choice. And so we tend to choose, in our, um, it's, and this goes into the uh, right-minded versus wrong-minded state of consciousness as outlined in the Course. But to make a right-minded choice, you must be on the side of spirit and a, a recollection of where you came from, which is from Source, which is peace and love. And so that selective remembering um, must be the acknowledgement of the existence of any of a soul or a state of being prior to any um, damage that has been done based on any experience that you have. It also says that it's based not on your selection at the end of that sentence. And here I have not resting upon your personal preferences, but adhering to the statute of any instances of unforgiveness. We move on to say that the shadow figures you would make immortal are enemies of reality. Immortal, obviously, being never ceasing to exist in your mind, a constant presence or reminder. We want to keep in mind that the let's use capital M for higher mind and lower M for lower mind, ego, Mm -hmm. wrong-minded. Let's keep that distinction going. And the enemies are perpetrators against truth, reality held in firm regard, or, or that which we've sworn against. It goes on to talk about betrayal. Betrayal exists only in the lower level vibration of Earth. 3D tends to add light, shadow, and texture to the perception of betrayal and slight. At soul level, it is the playing out of agreements and contracts. In 3D, it seems real because it feels real, and therefore, in simplistic terms, it is, just as a real body needs real medicine when it is sick. But the Course asks us to elevate our thinking to embrace a higher truth. Forgiveness propels you and the collective, all of us, forward beyond the perceived insult, paving the way for low and negative vibrations to move on and out of your energy field. And then it gets into shadow figures and their purpose as witnesses. Shadow figures I consider individuals from your past. The reason they are called shadow figures is because they not only represent a person, 
put a bookmarker in the story of your past for the purpose of the shadow self or ego to zero in on its target for blame, shame, guilt, and justified attack. It goes on to say, because you bring them. This is attachment. You bring them with you. You carry them with you wherever you go until you choose to let them go and forgive. We don't understand their origin and what function they serve, which is to remind you that the separation is not real. And so if the separation is not real, and this is just our perceived conditioning of people and of life on this planet, then it stands to reason that it should be a fairly easy easy test to let go of that which is not real. And so that's just the brief outline I made, just of those highlights for this paragraph. I'll turn it over to you, Dr. Bob. Do you, any, do you want to fill in any gaps or add to that? Um, yeah, like we were saying, I mean, this, this paragraph contains a great deal. Bef- just before we came on the air, um, Shar and I were talking about how 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 different places in the course are what I call holographic. That is one paragraph or sometimes even a single line encapsulates the entire course teaching. And it, it's one of the, the truly brilliant things about this, this thought system um, because the form of it, that holographic form where what seems to be a line or a passage that is a part of the whole text actually conveys the teaching of the whole text. So the form in which it's delivered is is a mirror of the teaching itself where you know there are no parts parts are a a side effect of separation Um, there's only wholeness so the course itself is this amazing volume that is one whole it's teaching the same message over and over and over and yet it looks like it comes in all these different parts and chapters and paragraphs and lines this is one of the um this paragraph is one of those places where you know, where you can really see that come into action. So that said, um, line one, you know, to forgive is merely to remember only the loving thoughts you gave in the past and those that were given you. So it starts right off telling us um, what forgiveness is. And and, and, and there are many different um, examples and definitions of forgiveness throughout the course. But I actually think this is a particularly useful one. Um, only your loving thoughts you gave in the past you remember um, or the ones that you received. And um, then it goes on to say all the rest must be forgotten. Forgiveness is a selective remembering based not on your selection. Why isn't it based on our selection? Because we're lost. We're, we're in a dream. We don't know what's real and what isn't. We actually don't even know what's love and what isn't, although in in those wonderful moments where we experience true unconditional love, love that has nothing to do with the circumstances around us, in those rare instances, yeah, we, we feel it, um, we embrace it, we remember it, and it wakes us up to our true self. But what, what these first three lines are basically saying is that um, – I mean, and again, this is so profound, and it resonates with what Eckhart Tolle says, um, only the present is real. If you are remembering anything from the past that is not love and loving, either love that you gave or love that you received, because they're the same thing in reality, um, anything else you're remembering is pure nonsense. It's vapors. It's a dream. It's an illusion. But because we gave it life, 
we're still invested in it. And, and so the shadow figures, which we would make immortal, and there's, we want to hold on to that past and all the figures in it, um, we would make them enemies of reality. And when the Course talks about reality here, it's not talking about the world outside. It's talking about God's reality. So we've, we've sort of set up this whole puppet show um, of what we call the past, which is populated with shadowy figures, some we love, some we hate. And to the extent we're holding on to that, we're not seeing love in the present. And the only way we can get there is by signing on to the Holy Spirit's plan of atonement, because the Holy Spirit can take for us that which is loving and therefore real and sort of separate that wheat from that chaff and, um, and, 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 you know, preserve what's real and let go of what isn't. Uh, this harkens back to a particularly lovely passage, um, one that a lot of course students, you know, have marked as their favorites from uh, chapter five, uh, uh, section four, paragraph eight, that basically says, all your past except its beauty is gone and nothing is left but a blessing. I, that is Jesus, I have saved all your kindnesses and every loving thought you ever had. I have purified them of the errors that hid their light and kept them for you in their own perfect radiance. They are beyond destruction and beyond guilt. They came from the Holy Spirit within you, and we know what God creates is eternal. So here we have that contrast. All your loving thoughts are eternal because love is eternal. And the fact that they happen to come inside the dream, you know, that, that doesn't really matter. You know, it's kind of like if you have a night dream and, and something within there, um, something from reality, our reality intrudes. And, you know, you're like having a night dream. And in that dream, oh, I think I have to use the, the bathroom. And you wake up and, you know, sure enough, you do. Love is the only part of reality that intrudes. It can't be kept out. But the shadow figures that we have made would try to keep it that way. Um, think about the idea of shadow figures for a minute, too, because it's it can be a difficult concept. But I let me try to um, put it in in sort of a metaphoric term that might help it uh, help you understand it. So a shadow doesn't really exist, does it? I mean, we can see a shadow, um, but, you know, you can never really touch it, grasp it. It's not three-dimensional. It's not real. How is a shadow made? Well, a shadow is made when some object or body stands in the way of light. So when there is an obstruction to light, it casts a shadow. What shadow figures are from that perspective then is they're the things that we have made up and invested our belief in that stand in the way of the light and therefore cast these shadows which we then get totally absorbed in, you know, the shadow play. I mean, man, there's, you know, whole dramas and Shakespearean uh, tragedies and comedies playing out in those shadow figures. But what this section is telling us is um, they're all the past. They're all unreal. So a couple pages after um, that section that I just read, the, the Course tells us that the purpose of the atonement is to save the past in purified form only. If you're a course student, the word atonement in the course has its own particular meaning. Um, it is the way that we, the way that we heal our misperceptions and awaken from the dream of illusion back into the real world, which is still a dream, but where we're embracing love. 
So the, the atonement is to save the past in purified form only. In other words, it's not really saving the past at all because that purified form is love and love can only exist in God's reality in the present. So, you know, you can almost think about like a, a, a strainer here that the Holy Spirit takes all your memories and runs them through and um, all the, the, the crap gets caught in the strainer and what comes through is this pure, glowing, you know, um, elixir of love. But we, you know, we made these things. Um, you know, the shadow figures are the witnesses you bring with you to demonstrate he, your brother, did what he did not. In other words, in God's reality, um, you know, the worst people, whether Hitler Kim Jong-un, uh, Donald Trump, if you're a liberal, Nancy Pelosi, if you're a conservative, um, you know, uh, pick, pick your favorite villain. Whatever they did played out on the shadow stage with the shadow figures. And if we make it real for ourselves, then we are caught up in that illusion and the Holy Spirit's atonement can't touch us. We are choosing what we want to keep real. So that selective remembering that ain't happening. Um, you know, they represent the evil that you think was done to you. And of course, if we think evil was done to us, then we have the right to attack in self-defense and back and forth and back and forth until we have the whole ugliness of the world we uh, think we live in. But, you know, in the section on forgiveness in uh, part two of the workbook, it says, you know, forgiveness recognizes what you thought you did to your brother has not occurred. Now, most people read that and go, I don't get it. You know, I'm putting this book away. And, and that's okay. You're allowed to do that. It'll probably come back to you 10 years later, but you're allowed to do that. But that, this paragraph in, in, in Shadows of the Past helps explain that. What you thought he did to you um, never occurred because in God's reality it didn't. And if we can see all of our brothers, not as shadow figures, um, you know, with their sort of um, being defined by the past in our mind, but by the love in the present, then guess what? We're living in a really different world, and that's what we want. Um, so, yeah, I think that, you know, it's an amazing paragraph. I would strongly encourage anyone just, you know, read it over, put it away for a few days, come back to it, um, read it in the context of the section. But, you know, uh, the course... It, it's holographic. You can get the whole course from this. You'll get it from other sections, too. Um, so, mm. Shar, would you like to add to what anything that I said? <laughs> I love everything you said. You put it so succinctly and, and provide all these examples. It's wonderful. I just want to add a little bit of <clears throat> contrast to kind of balance what we're talking about out just a little bit so that when people do mull this over and contemplate it, to give that uh, equal equilibrium to it. So we're talking strongly about shadow figures. And I, I like what you said, you know, it blocks the light. and But it's also, mm -hmm. when we look at the shadow, it's also part of us. And, and so it is an extension of us as the light goes through the dense body. To provide contrast, I want to introduce the idea of the light self. Because when we're in conflict, we think, what's the purpose? Why is this happening? What is this for, as we often say here? And so what it's for, what, is, what the conflict is for, is to draw the consciousness 
to self-realization and growth. So how does that happen? There has to be an equal and opposite at play here in order to provide us with that platform upon which to seek out that self-realization, that self-discovery. And so if we look at the shadow self and then polarize that with the existence of the light self, that right there provides contrast. And that would create that platform to allow conflict to come into play to draw our, our consciousness to it. And in those experiences where we then can ask ourselves, okay, what am I, what are my preferences here? What am I indulging in? Shadow self or light self? How do I see my brother? Do I see him as the perpetrator, the one who is justifiably um, uh, due retribution? You know, how do I indemnify myself? I also want to touch on. It might be. It might be in the next paragraph. It is. Okay, but it's supposed to be about love. And so to deny love to one that we were created in love with is the shadow self and light self. Determine which one you're indulging in in order to work through a conflict. Conflicts are going to arise. That's part of life. But remember that the purpose is self-discovery in what is reflected back to you in that conflict. That's all I want to add. Thank you. Um, Yeah, Mm -hmm. the course tells us that the Holy Spirit um, must work through contrast and comparison, which are really ego tools because they're part of the world of perception, but that that's where we live. That's where we are. Um, you know, we, we do believe that we're bodies or, uh, you know, um, so sort of the reframe, the way to, uh, the, the way the Holy Spirit will work with contrast is, you know, do you like what you're experiencing now? Um, if if so, okay, uh, then keep going with it. But at some point, you're going to find something comes up that you don't like because that is part of life. Conflict will arise. And at that point, you have a choice. Do I like what is going on? If not, not how do I change it in the outer world, but what can I do internally to change it? And you might even recognize if, if, you're, um, if you've worked with A Course in Miracles for a little bit, that your ideas about what's going to change it are probably going to fall flat on their face and that your best, your best um, first step in any situation of conflict is to go, I don't even know what's really going on here. I just know I don't like it and it doesn't feel good. And I would rather experience this in a different way. And then you turn it over. Holy spirit, God, Jesus, the Christ, the Buddha, um, you know, my ancestors, whatever you know, whatever form of higher um, consciousness you want to use, help me to see this differently. I am willing to see this differently. I want to see this differently. And that request um, is likely to bring you some results. They may be internal results where the external situation doesn't change a beat, but you're just not as troubled by it. But I have also, um, both in my personal life and even more as a psychotherapist, seen situations where suddenly the person that you thought was completely irredeemable and, and, you know, and, and worthy of a firing squad, where suddenly that person says something or behaves in some way that you never could have anticipated. And the next thing you know, there's, there's real communication happening. So yes, Char, um, thanks for adding that bit about contrast. Uh, because even though a shadow isn't real within physical reality, it sure looks real. And and therefore, we, we do have to address it as such. We do. And I, I remembered what I had wanted to say 
10 in the latter part of that sentence says, hoping that their witness will enable you to think guiltily of another and not harm yourself. That's where I was kind of going, where never forget that as you give, you receive. So thinking guiltily of another or even just entertaining thoughts of revenge, you're doing that to yourself. And so if it's about love, then that's the springboard from which you can find your way to forgiving that other person. And like you said, um, just to piggyback on that, we're all the same. And so the illusion creates these contrasts so that we can work our way through these things. Yes. Mm -hmm. Um, Without making excuses, which is the quote-unquote reason why we should enter into these unholy alliances in the first place. One of the um, early workbook lessons says, I see only the past. That's Mm. a pretty powerful statement. We don't ever see anyone as they truly are in God's presence because we're we're so lost in dreaming. Um, and so what we actually look on when we see each other and our different bodies and personalities are the shadow figures. And um, and this is this is a way of helping us recognize that um, you know you can't drop this all in one fell swoop. It doesn't. It doesn't work that way. I mean, maybe it does for someone, um, and God bless them. But for 99.99999% of us, uh, no, it doesn't work that way. But if you can even recognize one person where you are chaining them past as you understand it, which isn't real, that's in your head, that's your fantasy, because, you know, it, it's over and done um, if you can even recognize one person and be willing to shift your perception on that in terms of the holographic uh, you know, world that we live in, you are making a contribution as valuable as anything that Mother Teresa or Martin Luther King did. And I am not exaggerating when I say that, because if we're going to find our way out of this maze of illusion, it is up to each one of us to do our part in that way. Um, you know, it can't just be the saint-like figures out in the world who we go, wow, aren't they magnificent? And, you know, I'm just a miserable worm, so I'm not even going to try to do anything. No, we each not only have a part in the Holy Spirit's plan of atonement, you know, um, there's a lesson, I think it's, uh, you know, 100. My part is essential to God's plan for salvation. Without you, without me, without Char, without your brothers and sisters, it doesn't happen. So if this all feels very overwhelming, um, you know, you don't have to do it all at once. But, you know, maybe ask the Holy Spirit, ask Jesus, you know, okay, what's what, what one relationship is most ripe for me to work on? You know, they'll tell you. <laughs> and, uh, mm-hmm. and then just start with that one. And when that transforms, you can say thank you and you can uh, begin to get a taste of what it might be like if all of your relationships were like that. And then you move on. Okay, where's the next shadow figure? Where's the next contrast? Where's the next place that I'm, you know, uh, embracing the past and refusing to let go? All right. Mm -hmm. Should I keep reading? Yeah, let's keep going. Yeah, I mean, otherwise we'll never make it out of paragraph one. But but we, we said yeah. before the show that we could spend the whole show on just that one paragraph. So, so um, hey, we only spent half the show on it. <laughs> Not bad. Not bad, Not bad at all. 
So and then two. let's read this, okay. and then I have a small visualization for everybody just to demonstrate um, how this works with paragraph two. Okay? Beautiful. Okay. So paragraph two. It is these shadow figures that would make the ego holy in your sight and teach you that what you do to keep it safe is really love. The shadow figures always speak for vengeance, and all relationships into which they enter are totally insane. Without exception, these relationships have as their purpose the exclusion of the truth about the other and of yourself. This is why you see in both what is not there and make of both the slaves of vengeance and why whatever reminds you of your past grievances attracts you and seems to go by the name of love, no matter how distorted the associations by which you arrive at the connection may be. And finally, why all such relationships become attempts at union through the body, for only bodies can be seen as means for vengeance. That bodies are central to all unholy relationships is evident. Your own experience has taught you this. But what you may not realize are all the reasons that go to make the relationship unholy. For unholiness seeks to reinforce itself, as holiness does, by gathering to itself what it perceives as like itself. So, wow, this is another, um, you know, big load of stuff. Uh, let's try to unpack it. So the first thing I'd say is remember that chapter 17 is titled Forgiveness and the Holy Relationship. And that in chapter 16, um, we looked at uh, the unholy relationship and kind of the bargain we make with the other person where, you know, we want to we want to steal from them their better self and kind of keep it for us. But of course, the moment we do that, we resent them for having a better self and uh, and, and the relationship instantly starts to dis to disintegrate. So what this is saying to us is the shadow figures will try to make the ego holy um, because that is the, you know, the ego's main desire is to substitute for God, to usurp God. The ego can't stand the idea that it's nothing, that it's nothingness. Um, so it's going to, you know, posture and preen. It's going to be the biggest shadow of all. Um, and it's going to convince you that it knows what love is and its version of love is falling in love, um, you know, making someone else that that special someone um, what the course would call a special relationship, um, which is nothing more than falling in love with a shadow figure. If you think of it as falling in love with a shadow figure or maybe a poster of, of a real person, um, then you'll be pretty clear that you can't really love that. That's a facsimile of love. Now, when it says shadow figures always speak for vengeance, uh, that's a tougher one to understand. <clears throat> but it's, it's kind of that idea that if we think we're finding love here, um, we're taking vengeance on God. It's sort of a way of saying, we don't need you. See, we're fine. You know, screw you. Um, we're also taking vengeance on all of our brothers. And I think the simplest way to understand that is when we look at someone else, we see the reflection in them of what we've done. We're all separate. We're all, quote, unquote, guilty of the same separation from God. <clears throat> so, so we're constantly in this, this game of um, loving some and taking vengeance on others. Um, let me see. Uh, you know, this is, they're, 
these relationships have as their purpose the exclusion of the truth about the other and of yourself. And then the last line, you know, unholiness seeks to reinforce itself just as holiness does. In other words, when you exclude the truth in someone else, you are excluding it in yourself. It, it has to be that way because belief systems are self-reinforcing. If I believe I'm separate, if I believe I'm a body, if I believe that relationships can only be transacted through bodies, then I'm reinforcing that whole belief system. And there really isn't any place for um, God, Holy Spirit, or love to enter, except when it stops working and we pause and go, oh, I, I want a better way. On the other hand, once we commit to, I want to see this differently, help me to see this differently, help me to see this brother differently, then we're saying, I'm not content with shadow figures. I'm not content with the past. I believe that there is a light in my brother that's also in me. Um, and that's what I want to see. And that's what I choose to see, even if I don't know how to get there. Um, so, you know, this, this paragraph remind it, it, again, it's sort of a, a carryover from all the other, other sections on the unholy relationship, the special relationship that's saying, um, you know, we are attracted by our past grievances. I mean, how do we select our partners? We find someone who's different than what we had in the past. But we also, if you're really insightful, recognize that we choose the same thing as what we did in the past, only with a different wrinkle. You know, the last guy I was with beat the crap out of me, but he had blonde hair. This time I'm going with the batterer with black hair. I'm sure it's going to turn out <laughs> differently. <laughs> Don't count on it. Don't count on it. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So, you know, we, we can't change it at our level. It, it doesn't work that way. Um, you're certainly free to try. Another beauty about the course is it's not telling you you're going to be damned or go to hell if you do it differently. It's just saying, no, you're going to waste some time. You're going to spend more time at it. We all know what it's like to go after a futile task um, and at some point realize, you know, this isn't getting me anywhere. I'm going to stop doing this and go the other way. The Course says take as much time as you want. Take lifetimes if you want, but there is a better way, and you will suffer until you find it. Even if you have a perfect life, at some point, as the Buddha realized, you're going to get sick, you're going to get old, you're going to die. And before you do that, you're going to have people you love who get sick, who get old, and who die. And those losses are going to be very, very painful because you have seen people as bodies. You want to get to the kingdom of heaven? You can't do it as a body. Okay, let me shut up and turn this over to you. That, that was great. I would have been happy if you kept going. Okay. <laughs> um, Thanks. What... what stands out, and I want to kind of um, step to the side just a little bit. But what stands out here, um, and, and as you so eloquently stated, it, it's self-reinforcing. And so what's highlighted here is vision and the law of attraction, but I want to, I want to take the law of attraction down to this level because it's been so mm. distorted and exploited for shiny things let us say, like, oh, visualize that house and you can have it. No, bring this down to base level. And so yeah. in sentence four, this is why you see in both what is not there. Okay, so there's the vision. 
and so ego overlies your vision and makes you see what there's, there's your preference. When you look upon a person from the past, a shadow figure as we call them, then you did not like. Whether it caused you pain, physical damage, loss of a loved one, whatever form that takes, the content will always be that you're seeing what you want to see about that person because you identify so closely with the body because that's how you see yourself. And there's that self-reinforcing cycle on one level. <clears throat> but it goes on to say, and I know we're both clearing our throats a lot today. I can only say that I worked a lot with dust this week and I'm allergic to it. That's um, mm. that's my situation. But <clears throat> it goes on to say, and why whatever reminds you of your past grievances attracts you. So that I want to focus on with the law of attraction in mind, that whatever is in you is what you're going to recognize and be attracted to. And so, and this ties into the conversation I had in my recent segment with uh, Mother Mary, and we were talking about how energy within us attracts us to certain situations, and then we kind of feel held in those situations. But we fail to see the opportunity in it, and the opportunity that is afforded us is a chance to really take some time. Whether you call it wasted time, we certainly feel that way about a lot of it. But if we flip that perception over and really look at the opportunity to dig deeper and really see what it is about us that we are seeing in the others, then we can dispose of a pattern that has plagued our lives. And so in that conversation, we look at situations we've seen again, like you said, well, the, the last batter I had had black hair or, or blonde hair. Now, now I'm going to pick one that looks a little different. Therefore, the situation will be different. And so this is the insanity that they're talking about. But I don't want anybody to think that, you know, when it says, you know, this is all insane, it's not saying you're crazy. It's just saying that there's an absence of certain things. Insanity in this context is, it means either unreasonable and impractical. And those things that we do are, are impractical to the goal of peace. So to see what you prefer to see based on your own experience is very impractical to really achieving what you want, which is that peace. And so those panic grievances that were so um, hell-bent on getting vengeance for, not that you make a list every day, but it is in the back of our minds sometimes. We want, we want to redeem ourselves based on those experiences, but what we really do in reality is attracted a similar experience. So we can choose then. Do you take conscious revenge on somebody or do you take unconscious revenge on them or do you really dig deep and really see what you're doing in the name of love and so how it says no matter how distorted the associations by which you arrive that connection may be so we can distort our associations with our people in our present but look at those associations to the people in your past and see if you can if you're a list maker um, and have that type of personality to put things down on paper. See what correlations you can find between your present and your past to see what you're missing. Then you can increase your visualization, your your um, your vision, your spiritual sight to really see in this relationship if you feel it is special by the definition of Chapter 16 or if there is holiness in there that you can then compound and augment with your own light and the light of the other. Does that make sense, Dr. Bob? Yeah, I would just add there's always holiness in there. Um, if you're not mm-hmm. seeing it, it just means there's another block within you. 
But as I was saying earlier, if you can't find it, then please do not pile guilt on yourself or make the other person wrong. Just let it go, accept that for whatever reason at this point in time, um, you know, this one just sticks in your craw and you're not able to get past it. And look for some other place where um, you might be more amenable to making that, you know, mind change um, for forgiveness. Uh, but, um, you know, again, I, 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 you know, Char and I have both said this over and over. This is really radical stuff. And, um, you know, we have to be patient. We have to be kind um, and 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 recognize the curriculum will play out over time. I mean, I've been doing this for 42 and a half years now, um, on and off. And I can tell you that at the three-year point, I would have told you I, I knew this and understood it pretty well. And at one level, well, maybe I sort of did, but at the level of experience, no way. Um, not even uh, close. Uh-huh, you know, uh-huh. we, we've got to give it the time to to sort of um, seep in and um, you know kind of dissolve away our uh, our false images both of ourselves and of others uh, the shadow figures that are out there that we've made and the ones that we've erected for ourselves. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we need distance from a situation to see it clearly when you're in it and it's so emotionally charged. It's very yes. difficult. To, to disentangle everything that's going on because, keep in mind, part of the past is, is going to play out in your present scenario. That's what this is saying. Look at what's attracting you to it. What's, what's even attracting you to the vengeance? Why would you want to take vengeance or attack someone that you love? So it must be that overlay from the past, and we have to find our way through that. But sometimes we need distance in order to make those distinctions. But I had wanted yeah. to do a, a, a very small visualization just to give that um, mental image to what it looks like when um, we're talking about past grievances and the people who play those roles, okay? So in this visualization, basically uh, what I'd ask the listeners to do is imagine you and another person in your life and you encounter a problem in your relationship and you're feeling hurt they're angry at you, you're both blaming the other, right? Simple scenario. And, and you just pick the one that you want. But now imagine that the blame is actually a rope. And you take the rope and you both tie it around your waist and it's connecting both of you to the other. And you seem to move on from the experience, whether it's simply not talking about it anymore or moving on with your life and not being in, in that alliance anymore. But you seem to be moving forward, and then you start to notice that there's something tied to you. You notice this thing around your waist. After some time, you then start to feel tension in the rope. After a longer period of time, you start to feel restricted in your movement. And then you look down only to realize that this rope that ties you to this shadow figure in your past who probably tried to move on as well in their own right but they might be experiencing the same tension. So focusing on that right here, you and the other who withhold forgiveness from each other, you basically serve as slaves. This is what they're saying, how, how you make both of them slaves of vengeance. And mm-hmm. so even though you, you seem to move on, there's that tether that ties the two of you together. 
And when you withhold forgiveness, that's where you get into that servitude. Unforgiveness being like an anger, anger that prevents you from moving forward because your sight is disregarding the truth of who you and the other are. And so picture that rope just holding you two tied together forever until you get to that level of forgiveness and seeing them for who they are. So picture then, as you look at a crowd of people, all the ropes that could be tied. Like look in a workplace, look in a family, look at all these ropes of unforgiveness that could be tangling up the situation when we look at it from a practical, reasonable, and sane perspective. And the goal is peace, then that's when we can begin to untie those ropes and really see people for who they are and not the idea that we chain them to, so to speak. I just wanted that to be a brief visualization for that. Yeah, that's lovely. Um, And if you think about all of those different um, ropes everywhere, I mean, it's truly a rat's nest. Um, Mm -hmm. And if you think about all the ones that are on you, I mean, every person with with whom you have some grievance – and um, I'm writing about this now um, for the second book of the Principles of A Course in Miracles series, which focuses on relationship. And I, I, I came to the um, uncomfortable realization that unless it's a holy relationship, um, which very few of us really know, even the person you love absolutely the most, you have tons of grievances with. Parents, think about your kids. You love them. You'd throw yourself in front of a bus to, to save them. But there's plenty about them that you would that you're not crazy about, and that if you had a magic wand, you'd change. Um, your spouse, your lover, oh yeah, they're wonderful in some ways, and God, you wish they'd change in others. In other words, this is the ego's world. Every relationship that we have as an ego in a body is one of those ropes tied to someone else. And so imagine that you've got. I don't know, a couple thousand of these and they're all pulling in different directions, you're paralyzed, you're stuck, you can't move. Guess what? Neither can they. Um, And this is why we need something like the Holy Spirit's plan of atonement to come along and in some cases, yeah, just, you know, slice through the rope or better still transform it from a rope into an energetic bond where um, you see the sameness in each other rather than the grievances and the differences. But I like that exercise. Um, that's, a, that's a good one. Um, I might uh, borrow it at some point and play with it. Go right ahead. We come up with some pretty good metaphors and, and ways to give that little visual to help, help take yeah. it to a deeper level, you know. Um, my goodness. Well, we have a little bit of time left, and I'm glancing at paragraph three, where it really takes what you just said and goes a lot yeah. deeper into the unholy relationship. So I'm wondering if we should pick up on that the next time so that we can really dig into it because it's got, it's, it's almost like a beginning, a middle, and an end to that paragraph. It's really deep. Yeah, it it, it, it does. It amplifies on paragraph two. Um, I have a thought. Why don't you read What's it that? now? And... Mm-hmm. Um, sort of like a preview of coming attractions. Uh, Even if you're listening archived, this will be like, you know, binge listening to Dr. Bob and Char. Um, And then you can go right ahead and uh, do the next one. And on the next, next time we'll pick up with this paragraph and we'll read it again. And uh, you know, we'll come back to it that way. But I, I, I want, 
I'd like to read it again just because, as you said, it does deepen it, and it's so connected to paragraph two. Uh, Okay, that's a good idea. I like it. All right, cool. Go for it. All right, so here's paragraph three. In the unholy relationship, it is not the body of the other with which union is attempted, but the bodies of those who are not there. For even the body of the other, already a severely limited perception of him, is not the central focus as it is, or in entirety. What can be used for fantasies of vengeance, and what can be most readily associated with those on whom vengeance is really sought, is centered on and separated off as being the only part of value. Every step taken in the making, the maintenance, and the breaking off of the the unholy relationship is a move towards further fragmentation and unreality. I'll read that again. Every step taken in the making, the maintaining, and the breaking off of the unholy relationship is a move towards further fragmentation and unreality. The shadow figures enter more and more, and the one in whom they seem to be decreases in importance. And that goes back to how the vision, our vision, our, our sight, where the past starts to overlay. And we don't realize it, but we're seeing the past in that person and not who they are in the present. Exactly. Good stuff. Exactly. Wow. Exactly. Right on. And and again, it's a hard concept, but if you realize that, um, that the past literally doesn't exist, you know, it's the greatest hoax ever perpetrated on anyone anywhere because it was perpetrated on everyone everywhere. Um, if you think of it that way, then everything you look at, remember that lesson, I see only the past, is just this projection screen that we're um, playing a movie that that never even happened. Uh, you know, because in the present, the present is just the present is just the present. It's like we turn it instantly into the past and then we project it into the future. And that's how we create this world of perception or actually make this world of perception so, yeah, um, this is a powerful indictment of what the ego thinks of as relationship. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And ladies and gentlemen, in preparation for our next conversation about this, uh, Dr. Bob had referenced in the early sections of the workbook, it talks about the past. If you want to contemplate that paragraph, go back to Lesson 7 and Lesson 8, which are I see only the past. And it goes on to explain that it's particularly difficult to believe this at first, but keep going. It's the rationale yeah. for all of the preceding ones. And then lesson eight, my mind is preoccupied with past thoughts. It gets you used to the idea of how that occurs. So if you can read that paragraph, do those lessons, review those, and then read the paragraph again, that will be helpful. I would also like to reference in the Manual for Teachers, Section 3, Forgiveness, the Face of Christ, as it goes a little deeper into forgiveness when you're ready for that test. But lesson seven and eight will start to help you understand the mechanics. Those are the words, the mechanics of how we do this for ourselves. Yeah, thanks for uh, bringing that up. And um, that forgiveness face of Christ, that's in the clarification of terms section at the end of the manual for teachers, uh, just uh, so nobody gets lost. But, um, you know, the course pulls no punches. It starts right out, you know, going, pointing, you know, it, it's about truth, 
and it's telling the truth the whole way through. So yes, right in the early lessons, in the very first week of doing the workbook, you know, nothing I see is has any meaning except the meaning I've given it, and I see only the past, which, by the way, are saying the exact same thing. All right. Um, what else? Let me see. I did not pick out a prayer. Let me take a quick glance. Yes, opened it on first try. Okay, so uh, we'll end it here. We'll pick up next time with section uh, with uh, paragraph three in uh, section three of chapter seventeen. We're on shadows of the past, and we'll keep going with that. And we're going to go deeper into relationships. Okay, perfect. so excellent, excellent conversation and prayer. I'm going to read. Thank you. Choose once again. Mm-hmm. Selections from A Course in Miracles. All right, Doctor Bob, I will speak to you soon. Good. And look forward to our next time, okay? Indeed. Blessings, everyone. Okay. All right. Choose once again selections from A Course in Miracles, published by the Foundation for Inner Peace. I am on page 68. All that is needful is to train our minds to overlook all little senseless aims and to remember that our goal is God. His memory is hidden in our minds, obscured but by our pointless little goals which offer nothing and do not exist. Shall we continue to allow God's grace to shine in unawareness while the toys and trinkets of the world are sought instead? God is our only goal, our only love. We have no aim but to remember him. Amen. Until next time, God bless and be happy.